This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host, and I'm also a recovering sex addict. Um, I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. Today, this is episode 43, and is the continuation of our series of deep dives into the 12 steps of recovery, or really the 12 steps of life, as I like to call them. They are so applicable to every life no matter whether that life has been touched by addiction or not, though I would venture to say there are not very many lives in the world who haven't been touched by addiction. We've now worked through steps one, two, three, and four. It has been a great experience for me, and I've gotten some great feedback from you as well on how much these have helped you. I'm so glad. Whenever I get ready to begin working on a new step, I try to take some time for reflection. Reflection is something I did a lot professionally. I reflected on my teaching and I had my students reflect on their learning, but it was something that until I entered recovery hadn't really translated well into my personal life all of the time. Prior to recovery, I would obsess and not reflect. Though some would say that they were reflecting when they were really obsessing, there is a difference. What is that difference you ask? When I think of reflect, I think of a mirror, a reflection. A mirror reflects an image back to us without absorbing the image. It doesn't take it. It doesn't hold on to it. If you walk away, the mirror can't reflect anything back to you. If you're not looking in the mirror, there is no reflection. We use mirrors for feedback. I use mirrors for feedback. I use mirrors to make adjustments. I look in a mirror when I'm fixing my hair or getting dressed so that I have some feedback on what I look like and what I'm doing. I use it when I'm putting on makeup so that I can see where my hands are and what I'm doing. I'm receiving feedback and I'm making adjustments accordingly. Reflection means I look at something, I consider something, but I don't absorb it. It doesn't consume me. When I reflect on an emotion or a conversation, I think about it, I consider it, I review it, but I don't absorb it. It doesn't consume me. I can learn from my reflection. I might change my behavior based on that reflection, but the reflection doesn't take over. I don't absorb it and it doesn't absorb me. What if a mirror did absorb you though? What if every image the mirror saw stayed on the mirror? Every face, every room, every tree, every light, everything. What if it all stayed on the mirror? How helpful would that mirror be? Pretty quickly, the mirror would become just a dark cloud, not able to reflect anything back. There is no reflection then, no feedback about what I look like or what I'm doing. And in that case, the mirror becomes useless. A mirror that absorbs you isn't reflecting, it's obsessing about you. It doesn't let you go. Obsession is not reflection. Obsession is consuming. It takes over. I think about a conversation or an emotion over and over again, and rather than reflecting upon it, getting feedback and making adjustments, it takes over and consumes my life. I get absorbed into it. It haunts my mind. It plagues me. It torments me. And maybe even takes control of my life. 
When I obsess and absorb, my mind soon becomes a dark cloud, not able to reflect and make adjustments, but obsessed. Before we begin step five, where we will explore this mirror idea a little bit more, I challenge you to take a moment and reflect about your recovery so far. Even if you're not working this step right now, take some time today and reflect on your recovery. Think about it, consider it, and get ready to make some adjustments. Some questions that you might consider. What have been three of my biggest successes in recovery so far? I have found that reflecting on my successes is by far one of the best things I can do in recovery because it continues to feed my hope and my desire to move forward. Another question you might consider, what have been three of my biggest challenges in recovery so far? Again, I find these really great questions to be able to think about what has happened, what have been challenges, what adjustments do I need to make in order to go forward? Those two questions, my three biggest successes and my three biggest challenges, are questions that I ask my sponsees every single week. What were your three biggest successes this week? What were your three biggest challenges? I have found that that really helps us to stay grounded and moving forward. Two other questions you might consider. Do I have clear recovery goals that I'm working towards? If you are working the steps or even if you're just listening today, think about that. Do I have clear recovery goals? Do I know where I'm headed? Do I know where I want to be and where I want to go? Without a destination, guys, it doesn't matter the journey. If you don't know where you're going to go and what you want to be, it doesn't matter which way you take. And then I would say, if you do have those clear recovery goals, Am I making progress towards those goals? Give yourself some time to recognize what you have done so far, the progress you've made. It's hard to see it sometimes when we are so close. If you have a hard time, ask some people around you. Ask for a reflection of the changes that they have seen in you. You're not looking for approval here or acceptance, just a reflection of the changes that they have seen. You get to decide if those changes are healthy or not. I know if I asked some people in my life about the changes that they have seen, they would not be happy about them. They might say things like, you don't take care of the family anymore. You don't fix things anymore. And they would be right, I don't. But they wouldn't be happy about that, and I would. I see that they struggle with that a lot, but for me, that is a good change. I am being less codependent. Back on point here, take some time to reflect about your recovery today. This is episode 43, and we're going to begin to explore step five and this concept or idea about reflection versus obsession. Before we jump in, though, let me share, as always, a few quick reminders and announcements. Our first Worth Recovery event, Engaged in the Struggle, is coming up. It's just two weeks away, July 16th in the Seattle, Washington area. I hope you're going to join us and I hope you're going to be there. The response has been great. So many people have expressed the desire to be there and I can't wait to meet all of you and spend some time getting to know you. You know about our speakers, you know about our lineup. All of that information can also be found on worthrecovery.com. If you live in the Washington State area, I really, really hope you're going to join us. Again, it's worthrecovery.com, www.worthrecovery.com. 
R-E-C-O-V-E-R-Y.com. Again, if you're listening to this after, don't worry. We've got more events in the works and we'll get those out to you as soon as we have them. If you have questions, if you want an event in your area, send me an email, amy, A-M-Y, at worthrecovery.com or get on the website and leave us a comment. Either way, I'd love to get in touch with you and help plan an event. Next, I want to give a big shout out to our Worth Warriors. Thank you so much for your support. It is because of you that this podcast continues to go and continues to remain free for everyone that wants to listen. It is highly important to me, you know this, that when a woman in sex addiction reaches out, she has another woman to connect with. Too many of us find ourselves isolated and alone when we enter into recovery. You can be part of providing that connection and that voice by becoming a worth warrior. You can do this for as little as $4 a month. That's less than 50 cents an episode, less than like a drink and a hamburger for the month. And with that money, you can support other women in recovery. The other thing you can do is to share the podcast. I know I say that every week, but do it. If you find something beneficial and something helpful, I am sure that you have someone else in your life that would also benefit from that. Listen to it, share it, talk about it. Do what you can. All of the information about our upcoming event as well as the Worth Warriors can be found on the website worthrecovery.com. So let's dive deep into today's topic. If this is the step you're getting ready to work, step five, that means that you've just finished step four, your moral inventory. I'm sure you've done a thorough job. I'm sure you've dug deep and you've listed all of the things you needed to in order to heal. And I'm sure while doing it, you had some big emotions, some really, really big emotions. Maybe you even feel a little obsessed with your past, with certain events or certain people, with certain emotions and the way you handled them or other things from your list. I know I was. When I finished my fourth step inventory, I was obsessed with my emotions, with my events, with my past. I was obsessed with how selfish I was, with how much self-seeking was part of my life. I was obsessed with how dishonest I was as a person about how many people I had hurt with my addiction. I couldn't help it. The obsession was taking over my life and my mind. It was dark and cloudy. I was holding on to each of these emotions, character defects, relationships, events, harms done, resentment, fears, acting out episodes, acting out partners, and offenses. I was allowing them to absorb me. This is what I had been afraid of all of the time, that deep down, I was this broken, horrible person. Listing it all out, putting it on paper, confirmed what I had thought. I deserved this horrible life because this is who I was. The more obsessed, the darker my mind became. And then one Saturday, I showed up at my sponsor's house with my lists. It was time for me to start step five, to admit to another human being the exact nature of my wrongs. Now, step five says we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. I didn't want to do it. It was enough, I thought, that I made these lists. Now, I know what my problems are and I will fix them. There is no reason for me to tell them to another person. No reason at all. I was scared. I was scared that she would hear my stories, hear my resentments, hear all of my acting out, all of my harms done, and turn away in rejection for the horrible person that I was. 
I knew about the list, and that was enough. I didn't want to tell anyone else. But I did. I showed up that day. It took a number of hours, but I read them. Every single thing on my list, every single character defect, every single line, I read all of it. I told her about the girl that I bullied when I was in elementary school. I told her about the dozens and dozens of men I had acted out with online and on the phone. I told her about the fake boyfriend I had made up and told my friends and my family about it. I told her about the resentments I was holding on to and the people that I had taken advantage of. I read them all, every single thing. She took some notes and asked some clarifying questions as we went along. We'll discuss those in further episodes on this step. But mostly, she just listened. I can picture her sitting on the couch, listening intently to my offering. And then I was done. She got up, went into a back room, and emerged with a shredder. She set it down in front of me, and she asked me this question. Are you ready to be done? Emotion instantly overwhelmed me, and I couldn't speak. Are you ready for this part of your life to be done? I couldn't even make a sound. My whole body was convulsing with emotion. Yes, I finally got out. Yes, I want this to be over. She gave me a tight hug and then she said, shred it. Page by page by page, I shredded my lists. I did it slowly, one page at a time. I wanted to see my obsession turn into tiny little confetti pieces. It was a crosscut shredder that she had, and little diamond-shaped pieces came out the other end. I cried the entire time. After the shredding ceremony, she gave me some assignments, again that we'll go into later, and we talked about some of the things on the list. But somewhere in the conversation, she said this to me. Amy, you have some adjustments to make. I'll never forget those words. You have some adjustments to make. She probably doesn't even remember saying them, but I will never forget those words. That was a true reflection back to me on where my life was. I had some adjustments to make. For years, though, I had been obsessing about my past, my emotions, my regrets, my resentments, my fears, and my harms done. I was obsessed with them and afraid that they would overwhelm me. For years, they had darkened my life. I had kept them at bay, thinking that there was no way I could handle them. In writing them down with my fourth step, it only became worse. But that day... That day that I admitted to another human being the exact nature of my wrongs, that day things changed. While I had been obsessing about these things in my life, they were turning my mind dark and cloudy, like a mirror holding on to each and every image it sees. But here she was that day, sitting in front of me, reflecting my life back, not absorbing it, not letting it overwhelm or overcome her, simply reflecting back to me, And she said, you have some adjustments to make. And in that moment, my mind became clear and a number of connections were made in my head and my heart about the purpose and the necessity of step five. The first thing that really clicked for me that day is that self-assessment is not enough. Sure, you've completed your own moral inventory in step four. You've made a self-assessment of where you are and what you have done. But self-assessment alone is not enough. It is not enough that we alone know the exact nature of our wrongs. It's not enough to get us to change our behavior. 
that's the problem. We've known all along that what we were doing was bad and unhealthy. None of us had to guess at that. We've known all along that we were hurting ourselves and the people around us. That is why most of us sought help and treatment to begin with. We've known this before, but knowing it alone was not enough to change our behavior. The AA Big Book describes it this way on page 72, quote, We think we have done well enough in admitting these things to ourselves. There is doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. Many of us thought it necessary to go much further. Time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they have turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. We think the reason is that they never completed their house cleaning. They took inventory all right, but they never let it go. They only thought they had lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves, but they had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story, close quote. This definitely describes my mindset. I knew there had to be an easier way than telling someone everything, but when I take my inventory and don't let it go, don't share it with someone, I obsess about it, turning the mirror of my mind dark and cloudy. It's when I share that inventory with the right person that the events of my past are reflected back to me rightly. I see that there are adjustments to be made, but I'm not holding on to them and feeling trapped. Self-assessment is not enough. I must share that inventory with someone else. The second thing that really clicked for me that day was just how cloudy my mind really was. As I sat and talked to my sponsor about some of the things on the list, I started to recognize the flaws and the gaps in my own thinking and logic. I started to see that how I had perceived a certain situation wasn't always correct. I started to really see my own character defects and how they clouded what was going on. How my own obsession with myself and my past and those that I felt had hurt me was clouding my vision and not allowing me to see things rightly, not allowing me to reflect and make adjustments. I like how the 12 and 12 book describes it. It's on page 61. It says, quote, what comes to us alone may be garbled by our own rationalization and wishful thinking. The benefit of talking to another person is that we can get her direct comment and counsel on our situation. Only by discussing ourselves, holding back nothing, only by being willing to take advice and accept direction could we set foot on the road to straight thinking, solid honesty, and genuine humility. Close quote. As my sponsor provided feedback to me on my list, I started to see that I wasn't thinking straight, just like the just like the book tells us. She was able to reflect back to me my own darkness and help me see the way out. Self-assessment wasn't enough because of the darkness of my own thinking. Only by bringing this all out, only by discussing ourselves holding back nothing like the 12 and 12 counsels us, can we set foot on the road to straight thinking, solid honesty, and genuine humility. 
I also love how the 12 and 12 describes and defines humility. This is on page 58. I think this is the best definition of humility I've ever seen. Quote, another great dividend we may expect from confiding our defects to another human being is humility, a word often misunderstood. To those who have made progress in AA, it amounts to a clear recognition of what and who we really are followed by a sincere attempt to become what we could be, close quote. I love that concept. Humility is simply a clear recognition of what and who we really are. We can't make that clear recognition on our own because of the clouded and dark thinking patterns that we have developed in addiction. Our addictive obsession has clouded our reflection ability. We can't see what and who we really are. Discussing ourselves, bringing this all to light, as we're counseled, clears away the darkness of our own thinking and allows us to make a sincere attempt to become what we could be. I love that idea. The third and final connection my heart made was different than the other two. After I was done with my lists, my sponsor didn't kick me out of her house. She didn't drop me as a sponsee. She didn't even wince or make ugly faces at me when I told her some of my darkest secrets. She didn't shun me. She didn't call me names. In fact, she hugged me. She told me she was proud of me. She related to the things that I had done. What my heart felt that day was acceptance and compassion. Someone knew everything about me, every ugly thing about me, and hugged me and told me it was going to be okay. I can't express the amount of love that filled my heart that day. My sponsor had a compassion and acceptance for me that I couldn't even have for myself at that time. Her love and acceptance helped me shake loose one of the faulty core beliefs that I had. That this one says, no one will ever like me or accept me if they knew what I had done. Here, sitting in front of me, was living proof that that was not true. That I was actually that I was acceptable and that people would love me, even if they knew everything about me. I understood that day that part of the necessity of this step, step five, was to help me find self-acceptance and self-compassion. If someone else could have that kind of acceptance for me, then why couldn't I have that for my own story? Why couldn't I find that compassion for myself? And in that moment, that journey began. The journey of self-compassion and self-acceptance started that day with step five, and it has only continued and grown. These three connections, self-assessment is not enough, my obsession that had led to my dark thinking, and beginning the journey of self-compassion and self-acceptance have been some of the best connections, and I would say gifts even, of my recovery, and particularly of step five. Understanding that self-assessment is not enough has helped me to live in consultation. Understanding the difference between obsession and reflection has helped me to let go of things, especially the dark thinking that I had, and understand how much I need reflection in my own life. And beginning this journey to self-acceptance and self-compassion has been life-changing as I truly this day love who I am, where I am, and the direction that my life is headed. I couldn't have said that before, 
But that journey to loving who I am, where I am, and where I'm headed began this day with step five. Each of these things has been a gift in my life from step five. Step five is loaded with great insight and more connections we're going to make over the next two episodes as we continue to deep dive and learn about the principles behind this step. I'm excited you're on this journey with me. And as we talk about the things that we learned from step five and how we can also help others, I'm excited that you're going to be there. As always, ladies, I hope you remember that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel in this moment, no matter whether you feel self-acceptance and self-compassion, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I know that. And if you don't, rely on me until you get there. Keep up this fight. Don't forget, you can support Worth Recovery by becoming a Worth Warrior. If this podcast has helped you even a little bit, if you think it's worth 50 cents, get online and join the movement. All the details are on the website, worthrecovery.com. I think about you, I pray for you every day, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.